I think the mic's on. We better. We better. <clears throat> dun, dun, dun. Is it time? It's I think, time. I think it is. Welcome to Interman Radio, where we accomplish more than we thought we could through Christ's power working in us, regardless of what your pastor said last week. So let's drop the excuses, pick up our Bibles, and prepare to win. Mark, uh, you were destined to run into a friend. Yeah. <laughs> where? Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure, but we, did, we didn't. It's not did, that joke, we did. is it? <laughs> not, not in the bar. Oh, okay, all not right. In the bar. I ran into a friend. Yeah, and in the conversation, someone says, God drew me to himself, and there was That's nothing beautiful. I can do. I know, it's so sentimental. He drew me to himself, there's nothing I can mm. do about it. Or, I didn't want to become a Christian, I, was, I wasn't I was looking to become a Christian, but God broke through, and I came to Jesus. He just broke through. He broke, he, he just, just broke, broke through. through. He broke through. I wasn't doing anything to seek him. I, okay, all right. You know, and he and he plucked me out. Plucked and, you? And I came to him kicking and screaming. Mm. And, and So we hear these sentiments all the time. We do. We and do. it sounds a lot like Calvinism. It, it does. But, you know, there's some verses out yep. there. It, not out there. They're in the scriptures, actually. <laughs> out there in the that, scriptures. That, that actually would seem to support this notion that I really have nothing to do with my salvation. It's really all God doing all the work all the time. And in our first episode talking about Calvinism, we, we looked at some areas where uh, the, the foundation of Calvinism, the different logical steps it takes us through. But here's some scriptures that we need to work through, I think, because they seem to present some pretty stiff obstacles to the idea of us being in control of our destiny. Yeah, you thought one part of Calvinism was going to be enough, but we thought we thought a sequel because yeah. the first one was so good yeah. and made so much money that we thought we'd capitalize on that oh. success. Yeah. Really, what we thought was it's not intellectually honest to talk about this is one position and not really view some of the scriptures that someone of a Calvinist persuasion would look to to support their position. So right. we want to talk about those, and uh, we, we couldn't fit it all into one episode. The word that we're going to use is riveting. <laughs> riveting. Riveting. Riveting, yes. <laughs> Two Calvinists. Well, good. In, here's one of those. In John chapter 6 and uh, verse 65, you'll hear this one sometime. Um, he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Mm. Lots of yeah. times. Well, here, let's do another one. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 is, is a uh, that's fairly popular. People know it well enough. Ephesians chapter 1, a couple of verses. Verse 4, he says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Later in verse 11, he says, Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of of his will. So somebody had, you know, when they read those, they want to ask the question, well, are we predestined? And yes, they are. Yeah. I mean, these are troubling in a way because it makes it sound an awful lot like, uh, like regardless of our intentions, God chose us. I mean, it even says that. You can't come he, to him unless he calls you. Yeah. I mean, no one comes to me unless it's granted by the Father, and we were chosen before the foundation of the world. I mean, that sounds like a pretty open and shut case that God's controlling the process even before we ever had anything to do with it. It sure does. The problem is this. The, the, uh, the religious world has kind of adopted a, a binary choice 
mentality when it comes to Calvinism. That's right. You, is binary it yes or choice. no? Oh, yes wow. Yes or no? What are we like binary is code on the computer? Yes or no? Okay. You only have those two options. Either they say Calvinism looks like this. Either God knows what you're going to do ahead of time, and so you have to do it, and he forces you to do it, and you have no choice. Resistance is futile. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. On the other hand, the, the other side of that coin they would say is, well, if we have choice, then God can't know ahead of time because we might surprise him. We have choice, and so he, he might not know exactly what's going to happen. Wow. So God, in knowing everything, can he create a situation where he doesn't know everything? <laughs> is that... Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and would he know that ahead of time? I don't know. Ah, okay. I see. <clears throat> so when they look at those verses, they take them and they put them into either one of those two camps. Okay. And they don't stop to think about the larger picture. So when he says, no one can come to me unless it's granted to, to him by the Father, does that mean that no one can want to be saved? Or does that mean that no one can accomplish salvation apart from it being granted from the Father? In Ephesians 1, does it mean that pre is predestination, does it fall into one of those two camps that you're totally without choice and just God compels you to do his will? Is that what it means? No, it doesn't mean that at oh, all. Oh, okay. I, I was hesitant to respond. I, I didn't want to be wrong. It was a, re it was a rhetorical okay, question. Right. right. <clears throat> so are we predestined? Yes. Yes. Okay. But we tend to think of predestination like some kind of spiritual assembly line. Okay. Just going through the motions, stamping out the pieces, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Right. Moving inexorably toward a foregone conclusion where we're going to fill our role that's been predetermined for us in God's master plan. Okay, so what's the missing piece to this? Because you mentioned that they make it a binary choice. Right. Uh, I think what you're talking about, though, Mark, is a tertiary uh, process, yes. maybe. Yes. Oh, that okay. was good. So yeah, what's I like the, that. What's, what's the third part of this? And can you give us a, a story that might illustrate Yes, it? pancakes. Okay, pancakes. Pancakes. Okay, all right. If pancakes solves the predestination problem. Okay. Yeah. Well, hold on just a second. Everybody just pause on that for just a second. Chew on that for just a moment. <laughs> okay. Right, right. So will it be syrup or will it be, hmm. yeah. <clears throat> Pancake. So I, I tell the story sometime, but but I have a son, Noah, and, and Noah is 12 years old, and Noah loves pancakes. Mm. Well, what 12-year-old doesn't? Okay. <laughs> well, I love pancakes. Yeah. But Noah loves pancakes, and so and so I know that Noah loves pancakes, and and I have I am I have a strong confidence that if I were to get up tomorrow morning and ask Noah, Noah. What do you want for breakfast? Yeah. He'd think about it for a second. My bet is he's going to say, I want pancakes. Huh. Yeah. All now, right. I didn't compel him to make the choice. But my foreknowledge mm -hmm. of his choice is based on my knowledge of him. Okay. And to the degree that I know Noah, I can, with that degree of accuracy predict, not compel, but predict his choices. Now, he may surprise me tomorrow. Yeah. If, if I mean, if I tried this just, just to see if, yeah. you know, if, if, if you it should do, you should You should have a hot mic when, when you know, in the <laughs> That would be really funny. Yeah. No, what do you want for breakfast? <clears throat> Waffles? I don't know. <clears throat> <laughs> but if I, see, if I know him perfectly, I can perfectly predict his choices. So is there a verse that talks about God's foreknowledge having something to do with our predestination. Uh, okay, tease it. As a matter of fact, there is. 
But we're going to hit it at the end of the oh. program, not right at this oh, moment. That sounds like a tease. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Well, we had no choice. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> we so, got a lot of mileage out of that. Right. But, look, so because God knows us perfectly, God can perfectly predict our choices. But it doesn't mean he forces us to them. Okay. So, okay. Person listening might say, okay, that's great and everything, and it works for the pancake analogy, mm, but mm, mm. my relationship with God isn't exactly <laughs> like eating pancakes. It's not like my relationship with breakfast. Right. Uh, it's, it, it's more like a marriage, right? So, okay. So, um, so like, with, with in a marriage relationship, I know you know Jen pretty well, right? Yeah. Well, 20 years, we, I've picked yeah. up a few things, sure. All right. So, so does that, would that apply? Yeah. Okay. How? So, you know, because I know her so well, I, yeah. I think I could, I could probably predict with almost perfect accuracy the choices that she might make. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about <laughs> moving right along. Uh, all right, so when she surprises me, yeah. <laughs> When I was pursuing Christina, all right, so I was interested in Christina, and uh, I, I had determined in my mind that this gorgeous young gal was going to be my wife, all right? This is excellent. Go ahead. Yeah, Keep okay, going. Okay. The only problem with that is, mm -hmm. is she had no idea of that intention, mm, all right? That, that's, a, not yeah, that's a complication. Yeah, not, not only did she not have any idea of that intention, uh -huh. she had no idea of the guy who had the intention, <laughs> right? So, so, but I, I... Jason who? Yeah, right. So, so I, you know, but I had made up my mind. And, okay. And it, through, through a series of pursuing her and talking to her dad and all that kind of stuff and everything, so, <laughs> and some, and some rejection along the way, <laughs> but... But in the end, of course, so now we're married, you know, six kids later, and everything else. it all ends right. well. Happily but, ever after. Yeah. But, you know, just because I had determined in my mind uh -huh. that she was going to be my wife, yeah. she had a little something to say about that, right? <laughs> yes. So if she, it was her choice whether or not to reciprocate. Exactly. And, and so in our relationship with God, he, he has pursued us. He has made the gospel open to everybody. Mm -hmm. He has sent his son as a sacrifice for us, yet it's still up to us to reciprocate. Okay, well, somebody's going to ask this question then. Okay. They're, they're going to they're going to spin over to Romans chapter nine, okay. and they're going to say, "Well, ha hold the phone." Yeah. He's, in, in verse ten, he says, "Not only this, but there was Rebecca also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, and though the twins were not yet born, Ooh. and had not done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to His choice." might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. One of those is is predetermined. The other is a, is a statement of what happened in retrospect. Verse 12, the older will serve the younger, is said before the twins are born. Right. Later, verse 13 is a reference to afterwards, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So they didn't. They haven't even done it. They haven't even been born yet. Okay, I'll give you that. That that sounds like a compelling case for predestination. It certainly does. All right, what gives? Well, the question we want to ask is, how does God make His choice? See, because He says in verse eleven, it's God's purpose according to His choice might stand. So how does God make it? Does God make it based on what He's going to force them to do in the future? I don't think so. <clears throat> but notice that God has. For knowledge, mm -hmm. God knows what's going to happen based on his knowledge of us. And so Jacob and Esau aren't going to do anything in their lives that's going to surprise the Lord. 
The Lord is not going to be shocked when Esau comes home from hunting empty-handed and says, give me some of that stew there. And Jacob takes advantage of the opportunity and says, okay, sell me your birthright. That didn't surprise the Lord. He knew that was coming. And because of it, the fact that Esau was a, was a godless man and Jacob valued the promise uh, given to Abraham, he said the younger will, or the older rather, will serve the younger. And God's foreknowledge was confirmed by their choices. It wasn't the result of his foreknowledge. Their choices were not the result of his foreknowledge. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, so in other words, you're saying that that uh, he, knowing beforehand what kind of men they were going to be, chose them to play certain roles because of that foreknowledge. Exactly. Okay, yep. so, so uh, but what about this? In verse 16, uh, in the same passage, right, um, he, he, he rolls in and he starts talking about Pharaoh. He says, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And then he starts talking about Pharaoh. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So he, he, he says, so I will have mercy upon who I have mercy, right? So it sounds an awful lot here like um, that God's raising people up kind of willy-nilly to, to demonstrate his power regardless of what kind of people they are. Doesn't it sound kind of like that? It, it does sound a little bit arbitrary, but again, that's... Sometimes we read into the scriptures things that aren't really there. So when he says it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, does that have to do with the choice that we reciprocate toward God? Or does that have to do with the obtaining of salvation? See, Romans talks about how if somebody wants to attain salvation on their own, all they have to do is go up to glory to bring Jesus down and descend into death to bring Jesus up from the dead. Well, that's it. That ain't going to happen. Okay. So... In that degree, it doesn't depend on the man who wills or runs because salvation is beyond the grasp of any of us apart from the help of God Almighty. It doesn't depend on the man who wills or runs, but on God who has mercy. If God doesn't have mercy, it doesn't matter how hard you try. Okay. You're not going to do it on your own. But in the same passage, if we go on a little bit further, he's talking about the potter and the clay. And who are we to say back to the potter, why did you make me this way? Okay, so let's talk about Pharaoh. Okay. Because... Here's, here's what's going to happen. Is we're talk, when Pharaoh, he's talking about, he hardens one in verse 18. He has mercy on whom he, has, on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Well, that, similarly to the, to the verse of, in verse 16, it sounds like this is arbitrary. God chooses one. I'll give compassion to this one. He chooses another. You I will harden. Okay. As if, you know, some kind of, of, of uh, Roman emperor, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. No, this one amuses me, not yeah. this guy. But I don't, think that's, I don't think that's the point. And when we look at the example of Pharaoh, we can tell how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay. Because when we read that, he hardens whom he desires, people automatically jump to the conclusion, God just reached down and he supernaturally just hardened his heart so that he couldn't let Israel go. And that's not the way it went down. When Moses first gets sent to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 5, he says, hey, Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews has commanded us that we should go and celebrate a feast to him. Well, a few days in the wilderness, we're going to celebrate this feast. And Pharaoh doesn't know God of the Hebrews from anybody. So right. he says, well, who is this God that I should believe in him? No, get back to work, you lazy bums. And so through a series of events, God is incrementally turning up the heat on Pharaoh in the sight of everyone. Okay. So... Pharaoh's supposed to be the king, right? He's the man in charge. He's right. the big dog. 
But here's this Moses nobody who shows up and says, you got to let the people go. As if Moses can make demands of Pharaoh. Who does Moses think he is? Right. Well, he's got some great parlor tricks. He can do the snake, the staff thing, you know, and yeah. he puts his hand in his vest and voila, it's leprous and then it's clean again. But his magicians can do something similar. So Pharaoh says, I don't have to, I don't have to worry with this. Well, the, the heat keeps being ratcheted up and the pressure is on and the pressure is on. And so God tells him in advance in chapter 7, verse 3, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he sees some of the signs that Moses can do. In uh, chapter 8, in verse 25, Pharaoh now is willing to compromise. He says, okay, I'll tell you what. You guys go ahead and make your sacrifice, but do it within the land, okay? Don't go, don't head off three days in the wilderness. You can sacrifice. We'll allow that, but just do it right here. And immediately Moses fires back, nope, can't do that. Nope, <laughs> got to go three days, three days journey into the wilderness. Got to make our sacrifice way out there, three days out. Well, wait a minute. I mean, if you're Pharaoh, what's going through your mind? They're trying to get away. They're trying to escape. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I just gave you a national holiday. And now it's now you're making it a week? I mean, I told you you could sacrifice. Do your sacrifice. Let's move on. Nope. Moses won't hear of it. we got to go three days journey. We can't sacrifice here. Can't do it. The heat starts to ratchet up. Pharaoh won't let him go. He hardens his heart in verse 32. Chapter 9, Moses comes back. Verse 7, Pharaoh hardens his heart again. It's the same thing over and over. Moses is making demands. Pharaoh, and initially, okay, I'll do it when the plague comes. Then he says, no, and I won't let the people go. In chapter 10, verse 24, Pharaoh relents a second time. He says, okay, leave your flocks and your herds. Take the things with you. Uh, even your children can go, uh, but no animals go go to. So you can take, take those things, but... No animals go along. Just take take what you have. And Moses, no, can't do that. He says, and I mean, think how this sounds in the ears of Pharaoh. Moses said, no, sorry. We, we can't do that because we won't know which animals we're supposed to sacrifice until we get there. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. You don't yeah. know ahead of time what. Okay, so it's almost like they're trying to make it as difficult as possible on Pharaoh. That's kind of what it looks like. Yep. And Pharaoh is trying to capitulate. He's trying to make some compromise, but still save face. And the hardness of heart is, is equivalent to pride. And Pharaoh is, is trying to save his pride at the same time that he's trying to, he's trying to make some compromise so that these plagues will, will be lessened. Then finally he says, okay, go. And then, I mean, you know the story the 10th plague and the first of, of Egypt all die. And then God even even toys with Pharaoh in the wilderness when the, when the Israelites go out and then he has them wander around for three days mm -hmm. and Pharaoh thinks they're lost. They've lost their way in the wilderness. And so what does he do? He goes out to recapture them. That's madness. That's, that's total madness. His hardness of heart, his pride has driven him to a place where he's totally irrational. So much so that the God of the Hebrews is going to open the Red Sea and Pharaoh is going to march his army down into it. Listen, if he can if he can part the water, do you suppose he can let it go? Yeah. See, but Pharaoh, look how hard his heart has become. Now the question we want to ask is, how did God do that? And the answer is, he did it through Pharaoh's own choices. God didn't reach down and force Pharaoh to choose one way or another. God gave him choices along the way. Pharaoh hardened his own heart 
through the choices he made. And God was the one who gave him those choices. So that's compelling. I mean, that, that is. And we should almost just well, pause you. for a minute. <laughs> it really is, Mark. <laughs> because I can see that playing out. That makes a lot of sense. Someone might come back and say, well, that sounds a little bit like when, when God uh, is talking about the, the master holding a banquet for his son and he invites a lot of people to the wedding feast. And, and, uh, but then he says, many are called, but few are chosen. Right. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, right? Right. So in light of what you just said, that seems to put a different context on that, doesn't it? It does, because many are called. Um, in fact, um, if Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 talks about specifically how God calls people. And when, when people of the Calvinist persuasion use the term God's calling, they usually have some concept of this, of this irresistible tractor beam that draws people in, right. you know, apart from their own will. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, let's see, verse, let's do verse 13 and 14. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a number of elements here. Notice in verse 14 how God calls. He calls you through the gospel. So when Matthew 22:14 Jesus says many are called, well how does God call us? And the answer is through the gospel message of Jesus. So he calls many, okay. but the responsibility for God's choice, many are called, few are chosen, the responsibility for God's choice is twofold. God has, some, has, a, has a will in that. God chooses who he's going to save. I'm going to choose, uh, you know, just like you chose Christina, or just like a, just like a businessman chooses, I'm going to sell this product for this price. Okay. That's his choice. Right. He gets to determine that of his own free will. And I'm going to go after this particular client and that sure. particular client. Okay. Sure. You know, I'm going to I'm going to sell socks, you know, for for $5 a pair and so that's my choice. And then I'm going to put up my shingle outside and everybody who sees that has been called. Okay? It, but it doesn't mean that they bought socks. I didn't I didn't I didn't determine. Oh, I see. Okay. I will. I will take five dollars from you, and you will buy my socks. Right. This right. is a. This is a, a choice on both parties. They get to. I get to make a choice, and they get to make a choice. And if they choose, you know what? A pair of socks for five dollars sounds pretty good. <clears throat> so here's the five dollars. They plunk their money down, and now not only have they been called, but I've chosen them to sell the product to. That's a. That's a rough example, but God wants all men to be saved. Okay. So the call goes out to everyone, right? The gospel goes to everybody. Right. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to be saved. People complete the transaction of salvation when they agree to the terms of the new covenant will. Okay. All right. That's compelling. Another again, another uh, another, right. another uh, shock one up for compelling. Uh -huh. All right. Uh -huh. How about 2 Peter or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1. Yeah. Verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered out throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying that one too by the sanctifying work of the Spirit <laughs> to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Okay, so the thing here is that 
Uh, he chose people by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. It sounds like God, yes, he had foreknowledge, yep. but that he's choosing people and he's sanctifying them to obey Christ before they made that decision. It sounds like this has already happened and that they obey him after he's already done that. Right. Yeah. So he says, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. So that's what God already knows, not forces, but knows okay. about you. All right. <clears throat> so God recognizes what's coming in the future for us, and he's chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And we're chosen by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And we're chosen when we obey Jesus Christ and are sprinkled with his blood. See, the choosing is the, that transaction of choice on both parts has not taken place until you've obeyed Jesus Christ and are sprinkled with his blood. Okay. Now, does God know that by his foreknowledge? Yes. Of course. So can God say that he chose you in him before the foundation of the world? In that sense, he can because Absolutely. he already knew ahead of time. Yeah. He knew that you would. What, what? Be sanctified by the work of the Spirit, and that you would obey Jesus Christ, and that you would be sprinkled with his blood. God already, God already sees that, and so you can be chosen before the foundation of the world, because God already knows that's what's coming. Okay. But maybe even more compelling, let, let's, let's, uh, let's swing over to 2 Peter chapter 1, as, as to God's calling. And it's choosing. Yeah, because a person might say, okay, fine. So this is a one-time deal. God knew ahead of time that uh, what I was going to do. Uh -huh. He knew what kind of person I was going to be. Yep. And so he chose me based on what he knew I was going to do. So so based on that, once he's chosen me, once I'm in, that's it. That's the end of the story. I can't choose to get out, right? That's that's the idea. That's that's what the that's the Calvinist perspective. But Second Peter chapter 1, down in verse 10 just drops a bomb. He says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So who's responsible, in verse 10, for God's calling? We are. Yeah, yeah. God made the call, but then we're supposed to be diligent to make certain about that calling. Who's responsible for God's choosing? We are. We are. God made the choice. But it's our responsibility to make sure, to be certain about his calling and choosing. So to say that choice belongs solely with the Lord is not accurate. Any more to say that the choice of marriage belongs solely with you. Right. It takes someone who's willing to reciprocate and respond. I choose you, but unless we choose the Lord back, there's no transaction of salvation that takes place. God gets to make his choice. But God leaves us free to make our choices too. So what's the takeaway? What, what's the overall takeaway? <clears throat> Man, I think, I think um, here, for me, when I'm, when I'm looking at the way God works with us, I am amazed at how intimately God is involved in our lives. God does not take away our choices. God, that, that is... That's something that, that God absolutely will not do. He, he doesn't take away our choices. In fact, God works in our choices. So God is absolutely working with Pharaoh to give Pharaoh the choices. Pharaoh could have chosen either way. But God works through those choices to mold Pharaoh. And you can see this a little bit later in Romans chapter 9. 
works through those choices to mold Pharaoh into what Pharaoh wishes to be. If Pharaoh wants to submit to God, he can do that at any time along the way. At any point in the process, he can say, you know what? I'm going to let those Hebrews go. I'm going to submit to the God of Israel. You know, we get those choices all the time, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. When God puts before us a choice, which might even look mundane, you know, to begin with, we have to choose. Am I going to submit to God in this thing? Or will I not? God is involved in all of those minutiae. It's, it's, he's always involved in the things that we're doing. Not in the sense of forcing us or compelling us like Calvinism, but inviting us see, like, like pursuing a bride. He's, he's, what's the word I'm looking at? Wooing, I think. Okay. Okay. He's wooing, wooing us. Through all of those choices, courting. please choose me. Courting. Oh, that sounds courting. so much better. That's much more scriptural, biblical sounding. Yeah, but wooing is kind of cool, though. Yeah, it's <laughs> but God wants that for us, and he's not going to violate his choices, and or our choices. I think, it's, I think it's amazing that not only God is just to do with us what he will, because we are his workmanship. Right. But God leaves the choice of in what way we're going to glorify him up to us. Because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess yeah. that Jesus. So everyone is going to glorify God at some point. Yeah. Either in this life or at the end of it. Does Pharaoh glorify God? Yes. yes. Absolutely. I raised you up that I might demonstrate my power in you, right? Right. So some people will be vessels of wrath prepared for destruction because that's what they chose. Other people will be vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory because that's what they chose. God... God would love and invites all men to come to Him, and He will not violate their choice. And He works with us every step along the way, inviting us to submit ourselves to God, to follow God. And then He even goes the extra step to provide proof that what He's done is just. And in my mind, that's all the more reason to worship a God who deserves to be worshipped. We'll see you next time on Internet Radio. Radio.